we are connecting and we're live, ladies and gents, on a Wednesday night. Uh, it's three minutes to eight and you're here for episode 95 of uh, A. Thompson and Other Disappointments. I almost said episode 95 of Boris Johnson and Other Disappointments. Um, but no, uh, this is a uh, this this is very much me. This is not a Boris Johnson podcast. Um, if you're tuning in for Boris Johnson, you're going to be hugely disappointed to hear that it's me hosting and not him i cannot stress this enough this is not boris johnson's show although you know what we are going to be talking about boris johnson a lot for the next 45 minutes uh for uh for, for obvious reasons um good evening to silent adult in the uh, in the chat if you're listening to this podcast back uh, on the audio on like apple podcasts or um amazon or you know wherever you get your podcasts from um i do this uh live on youtube uh, i do a live stream so always feel free to jump in the chat and say hey and fire any questions across that you may have um i have not put a tweet out actually uh this time maybe i should do that should we do that fuck it let's do it here we go um i know it's not the most exciting uh, uh content to listen to um when i'm literally talking to you guys about the the promotional tweet that i'm putting out but in a in a weird way like if you listen to it on the live stream uh it's kind of like you're involved in it with me that's what i'm telling myself anyway that's what it, that's my get out of jail free card here we go going live now there we go guys right now let's get into it so look there's uh there's a lot that's happened in the last 24 hours um that's no great revelation is it um I I didn't think that it was going to move this quickly. I feel quite relaxed saying that and admitting that. Um, I thought, like, I, I thought that all of this was going to kick off when uh, the second jobs, like, Patterson scandal kicked off. Anybody remember that? That was, uh, that was like eight months ago. That's when I thought this was going to happen, was like there was all the shit about how Patterson had been lobbying on behalf of one of his donors or something, and uh, uh, and then it turned out that Boris Johnson was trying to disband the Standards Committee, like rather than have one of his MPs face the music over substandard conduct. Um he wanted to disband the standards committee so hugely undemocratic hugely unprofessional uh very authoritarian um morals on the floor and i thought when this scandal erupted i was like well that's it he's a goner uh little did i know <laughs> you know eight months down the line here we are again and uh you know it, it, it's not like the three hundred thousand people that ended up dead as a result of his covid policies uh it's not the fact that brexit is kneecapping our economy still now every week that goes by um it's that one of his cohorts got a little bit too pissed and apparently he had a bit of a reputation apparently he had a bit of a reputation for being somewhat sleazy in fact maybe we should go the whole hog there and just say bit of a reputation for being a sex beast uh Apparently, this guy, it was some what, like some parliamentary aide or support, or maybe it was an MP, might have been like a junior minister or something, woke up with this guy on top of him, like untucking his shirt, do, like about to do something to him. He was like, like what, like what the fuck are you doing? Like get off! Um, and that's just one instance. There are now, I think I'm right in saying, I might be talking shit here, 
But I think I'm right in saying we're up to about 10 prior complaints about this guy's behavior. And he had, by all accounts, quite the reputation. Uh, to such an extent that the Prime Minister himself had said, Pincher by name, Pincher by nature. So it was obviously quite a widely known thing. And Boris Johnson was obviously in the loop on it. Uh, but then in the last week, through a succession of uh, denials and dodging and obfuscations and, uh, yeah, outright untruths, it appears now that uh, we know that Johnson did actually very well know the extent of this guy's behaviour and conduct, uh, and that he was indeed highly unsuitable for, for those sorts of roles or any roles. Uh, he should have been kicked out of the party a long time ago. Um, but no, Boris Johnson turned a blind eye to it like he does anything that gets in his way of doing whatever it is that he wants to do at that exact moment. It's just like, like it's like how I imagine, you know, like, like for me to imagine dealing with Boris Johnson is like how I deal with my five-year-old. You know what I mean? It's like five-year-olds operate on just pure instinct all the time. <laughs> it's just id, right? If you're, it, I don't know if anyone's familiar with like psychoanalysis and psychotherapy, but I studied it for a short period in my mid-twenties. Actually, late-twenties, I think it was. Uh, and you have these these freudian concepts of like your ego and your super ego and your id and basically the id is just your like carnal animalistic desire and then i think it's i think i'm remembering this right your ego and your super ego sort of temper your id right and boris johnson appears to me to operate purely on id it's just whatever i want right now in this moment is exactly what i'm gonna do <laughs> Like there's no, there's no. I, like I wish I could live my life like that. It must be incredibly rewarding to just operate on, like, yeah. Well, why, why would I do that? Because that's not the thing that I want to do. Like right now, like what I want. It's not what I, what I really want and need to do right this second. So why would I do that? And it's, it's true for, you know, the myriad of uh, scandals that he's had. Whether it was the disbanding the standards committee it's like well yeah why wouldn't i disband the standards committee that's that's what i need to do right now to make my life more convenient um and it goes right through to party gates. so well, yeah like why wouldn't i just lie about this or yeah why wouldn't i just attend a party and then say that i was ambushed by cake why wouldn't i that's that's the easiest thing for me right now to get to where i need to get to um so yeah just to sort of circle back like i thought that today that all of these resignations uh would happen would have happened like eight months ago at the height of that uh that second job scandal um but then i mean what's happened since then we've had how many other scandals like only last week there was the, the foreign office thing where he was talking where, where it came out that boris johnson had tried to get carrie uh that 100 grand job and and like i was thinking earlier how crazy it is that there was another scandal that no like no one remembers this but it, well, i mean you will remember it now when i tell you but it's just completely disappeared from the political periphery um like do you remember i think this was at the tail end of the patterson second jobs thing the tail end of it do you remember when a few mps started saying that 
the Conservative Whips office had threatened them that they were going to withdraw funding from their constituencies. Like, you, well, like I thought you wanted a new hospital. You do want a new hospital. Well, it doesn't sound like it. If you're going to go up against Boris, if you're going to cause problems from Boris Johnson, we're going to withdraw funding, motherfucker. Like, do you remember that? Like, blackmailing your these people's constituents. It's so nutty. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, how many scandals have we had in the last eight months? And, and for some reason, it's this one that's kind of, that's broken through. Is broken through the right word or terminology? I don't know, because broken, breaking through suggests it's hitting the electorate. It's really upsetting the electorate. It's costing them potential votes out in the home counties and one nation Toryville, right? But actually, this scandal of the last, what, seven days has it been? This one is actually more of a Westminster bubble story, right? If you think back to uh, what, what it actually, like how it actually started, is this, this uh, deputy whip going to a conservative members club, getting completely shit hammered which you know let's not judge we all like a drink um and then getting very gropey very f sexual assaulty right um now that in itself is like okay that's potentially a crime that's been committed there and whoever feels that they've had a, a crime visited upon themselves they have it's their right to go and report that but in terms of it happening in a conservative members club by a deputy whip and it coming back through the Tory press, it doesn't feel like a huge breakthrough scandal to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm being somewhat, I don't know, perhaps I'm being a bit insensitive with that. I would have thought something like Second Jobs, where everyday people like you and me and your cousin and your mates who were just like slogging away trying to earn a bit of money so we can pay the mortgage or rent and save up for a holiday this year and maybe every two or three years maybe we could do something actually quite interesting like go go to australia or buy a new conservatory or you know just you know kind of a bog standard existence and then we look at these people who have got you know, a board role at AstraZeneca on top of their MP salary, on top of their ministerial car, and then they're being paid by a consultancy as well, and then they're being paid by some chemical company to introduce them to private lobbying things. Do you know what I mean? Like, I would have thought that a second job situation like the one that exploded in November last year would have ruptured public support Uh in in a significantly worse way and resulted in multiple cabinet resignations i would have thought that would have been the catalyst for this a hundred times over um so yeah i don't know it's 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 been a weird 24 hours for me personally because i think i know politics quite well in britain by this point so for me i was like you know over the last couple of days i was like well this is bubbling up like something's happening here but also at the same time i was like but why is it happening now? Like, it's... I don't know. Still can't kind of fully get my head around it. Uh, good evening to Emma. Uh, Emma T in the chat. Um, 
uh, Silent Adel is now saying uh, we get so many scandals that you just can't keep track of them all, which is absolutely the it's the dead cat theory, right? Is that if you slam a dead cat onto the table, nobody's talking about the thing that they were talking about five minutes ago. Now everybody's talking about the dead cat that's on the table. Uh, and I think Boris Johnson himself actually articulated that kind of approach to politics very well. This is going back about 15 or 20 years now. But I'm sure, like, you know, a lot of us have seen the footage of this. It's an interview, I think, from the 90s or the noughties, where he says his approach to politics, or rather the approach that he would he would wheel out if he were ever successful, because bear in mind this is a couple of decades ago, he says his approach would be to just con consistently throw chaos and scandal and this and that out just to, to frazzle people so that they're distracted by the new scandal and then they forget the thing that happened a week ago. And I have to say, it kind of works. It's like only a week ago, we were all outraged about this foreign office, Carrie sucking him off 100k a year thing. Now we're all outraged about how he's lied sequentially again and again and again. Like it's, it's impossible to stay mad at one scandal when there's just this endless partying conveyor belt feeding you these scandals one after the other like you're the fucking chubby kid in uh uh in Willy Wonka <laughs> and they're cop stoppers just you know one after the other um good evening to Mr Walker I'm so sorry I'm not I'm not even going to try to pronounce your uh, your first name in the chat there cuz I I'll call you Dal how's that Dal uh Dal Walker is saying uh, I think this is a distraction from the fuel prices protest uh no one is talking about cost of living and fuel actually I do you know what I'm going to respectfully disagree on that I think cost of living is the breakthrough issue at the moment I think it was yesterday one of the headline uh, pieces of news in like on I think it was on LBC or maybe it was BBC they were talking about how Lurpak butter is like $7.99 or something now it's fucking insane and I was joking with my girlfriend I was like you're gonna start seeing like petrol forecourt signs saying like this is how much for diesel this is how much for petrol uh, and then here's our fucking Lurpak price at this place because it's like, that is a real, like, bellwether price for how outrageously expensive everyday goods are becoming. Somebody showed me a picture earlier on Twitter of cheese from a supermarket. Something as just normal and everyday as cheese with tags wrapped around it so that you can't pick it up and walk out with it and steal it. And it's like... The caption underneath says something like, people are stealing cheese and it's disgusting. And then there's obviously, you know, loads of people commenting back saying, this is an alarming thing. You know, that so many people are stealing something as simple as cheese. I mean, you know, look, cheese is fucking amazing. Let's put that out there right now. If there were a, an item of food in a supermarket that would be worth stealing, probably cheese. But, or beer. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it gives you an idea, doesn't it? it? Gives you an idea of how serious things are getting. That an item of food as mundane as butter or cheese is now pushing itself into the luxury aisle. Um, 
I suppose this is the point where, you know, the the vegans get incredibly smug, right? It's like, like, I couldn't live without cheese. I just couldn't. I fucking love it. But if it gets to like £12 for a little block of cheddar, I know that my vegan mates are going to be like, ah, well, you know, simple choice then. So, um, so yeah, so I think cost of living yesterday was, was a headline news thing and it is it's impossible to ignore because every single day that passes we are inching closer and closer to that big two pounds a liter moment and here's the wild thing about it is we talk about the cost of living crisis like like it's just this ad hoc sporadic event that's kind of random but also entirely rooted in ukraine that's the way that we've allowed the narrative of the cost of living crisis to be directed to us is like, well, you know, there's a cost of living crisis and you know, there's a war in Ukraine and it's a, it's a challenging time for everyone globally. You know, they always emphasize that it's a global supply chain problem. And it's like, well, yes, it is. Yes, it is a, a global problem if we're talking about semiconductors, because there's only so much lithium iron and, you know, silicon and... Uh, and, and stuff that's being drilled out of the ground. There's a huge crunch on that stuff. That's why it took so long for anyone to get a PS5 last year. Um, the same with Teslas, the same with new cars. It's difficult for them to roll them off the forecourt when they're all reliant on these fucking chips and everyone's computerizing everything. So everything needs, the, needs these little semiconductors. So that creates a supply chain problem. So that is true in that sense. Where it stops being true is when we're talking about uh, oil and uh, the pound sterling. Because here's the wild thing about it. Is since we left the EU, the pound lost about a fifth of its value. It, it went down like 20%. I know it tanked overnight, but it's got like since then it's gone down by about 20% of its value. And because oil gets sold in US dollars and has done for a significant amount of time if we're buying in crude oil to process in our refineries or even if we're buying it uh, buying in petrol that's been refined elsewhere because we're buying this shit in in dollars and our pound has tanked we need more of our pounds to buy a hundred dollars worth of oil and because we're going through such a period of political instability and because of the war in Ukraine, in which the value of the dollar is, you know, when it's global instability, the value of the dollar does go up a little bit more naturally. Um, but because our specific currency has tanked in value, that means we have to use more of it to buy, which means that a weaker pound basically means that uh, our petrol, specifically in Britain, uh, is more expensive. And because we're going through this period of political instability still now, and it's, you know, where are we now on Wednesday with with Boris Johnson locked, probably in a fridge in Downing Street, uh, trying his best to convince people that he's the man to, to lead us through all of this. <laughs> uh, you know, that's not going to do an awful lot for the market. That's going to make us look like we're beholden to some little tin pot, like Tesco value dictator, right? Um and so as the currency continues to, to tank, or at best not really recover, it makes petrol more expensive. 
So even though the price of crude oil is actually sort of settling, I think the other day it was back down to like 103. Um, so things should be settling at the forecourt, but they're not because our currency's fucked. Um, anyway, I can't remember how I, how I got on. Oh, yes, cost of living. So so we're in a, a sticky situation. Um, we have a conservative government who have, uh, you know, with, with Ukraine, I think they deserve some... Uh, some recognition for for handling that and for leading the charge in some respects and for building a relationship with the country and its president who are obviously going through an incredibly difficult time um but in terms of like the cost of living crisis in the united kingdom the the main thing is the petrol right and that petrol increase is a result of brexit and it could have been tempered uh had they put some sort of meaningful price cap on petrol prices or if they had um uh implemented the uh the energy like the windfall tax on i don't know bp and shell and then redistributed some of that money uh quickly or um in other countries in other european countries where there is also expensive petrol they've slashed their equivalent of the vat on it down by like 15 pence a liter meanwhile here they just seem to like i was talking to super tansky and davy moo last night and i was saying i can't remember what ridiculous tory problem we were talking about oh that's right it's the jabs right the total absence of a new vaccine rollout even though the cases are soaring and i was saying i think there will be another vaccine rollout there has to be because of the numbers that we're dealing with now and the state of the hospitals, like how how famously overrun and understaffed all of your hospitals are right now. And I was saying to them, I think there will be another vaccine initiative, but I just wish that it didn't have to be like that you have to kick and punch them and drag them kicking and screaming into doing the right thing. Like, where is the initiative? <laughs> where is Where is the sort of, you know, the forethought? It's like being governed by newspaper editors who campaign do you know what i mean it's like here's the solution that we want you go up to number 10 number 10 are like no no we can't be fucked you're like but you know 800 people are going into hospital every day the deaths are going up again uh, don't you want to do something about it and they're like nah can't be fucked and then like you know the next day there's a front page and the next day is the opposition are firing questions about it in pmqs and then the next day a couple of cabinet ministers speak out from the back and go like well you know maybe we should look at it and then finally three or four weeks late after loads of dawdling and dwindling and obfuscating and lying and u-turns finally after being kicked and punched in the face and forced to finally then they'll say something like well we've uh, decided that uh, this is the right course of action it's like motherfucker why does it take weeks of punching and kicking and screaming why does it take almost like gaffer taping boris johnson into an office chair feeding him his own sewage punching him in the face threatening the lives of his firstborn <laughs> before finally he goes, no, 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 all right, all right, all right, all right, fine. Seeing as you really want it, fine. So, so yeah, like with the, the cost of living crisis, just going back to that, sorry, I'm getting very fired up now. Um, 
I think probably what will happen with that, with petrol prices, is we will probably see like a, a fairly chunky uh, reduction in VAT uh, and like just basic like naked fuel duty. There'll be some sort of 10p reduction or 15 pence reduction off that eventually. But fuck me, like how long has it gone on for? Um, the other aspect of the cost of living crisis, which I wrote a blog on some time ago, uh, that nobody really talks about, is that it's actually it's rooted in the scarcity of fossil fuels, right? Because if there was like oil and gas just under Cornwall or like Wales or, you know, somewhere that we could just drill down, have our own cushy supply of oil. You know, people say North Sea oil, right? But it's been established now that there's only another 10 years worth of oil in the North Sea. So drilling more and more and more and more dangerously, by the way, uh, offshore, north of Scotland, uh, it's not going to solve our like long term. It's that that's not a long term energy thing. And besides, like it would, there's no way that they could do that instantly. It would take like months, if not years, for them to uh, scout out the areas that are okay to drill down and that are safe to drill down, and uh, and then establish how much oil is down in that particular well, or you know. So the North Sea supply is not really a solution. We only have a few places in the world that we can get oil supply in from, and they tend to be places like Saudi Arabia uh, or Russia uh, or uh, Iraq. <laughs> or um, So we, we're not in a great situation in terms of securing the oil that we need to, to bring in. And it's the same with natural gas. And so to some extent, you can make the case that in the pandemic, when nobody was driving anywhere and nobody was flying anywhere... Uh, that these these um the apparatus that they use to extract and refine and process and ship uh, all of these fossil fuels that power your homes and run your cars uh that a lot of that stuff was wound down and you can't just spin it up again as quickly as as you wind it down uh now that in conjunction with china and parts of india and parts of Africa sort of coming online, for want of a better phrase, have meant that the supply, as the, as the gas and the oil spins up again, there is, there, there's just more people that want it. And so, again, like, there's this crunch on it. There's just not enough oil and gas to go round. But nobody's talking about that. Everyone just markets it like it's, it's the cost of living crisis. It's just this random thing where suddenly, for inexplicable reasons gas just got really expensive <laughs> it's like well, why aren't we having a conversation about why like how that happened like the nearest we've got to it is when i heard boris johnson commit to building a new nuclear power station every 10 years he's gonna he's gonna build a new nuclear power station in the uk every 10 years and we're supposed to take that seriously this is from the same motherfucker who's just like vote for us and you get 48 new hospitals it's like all right sure sure i can't wait for these nuclear power plants it's gonna be like a fucking four-way adapter fedexed to aldershot 
You're like, here's your new nuclear power plant. Oh, well, fucking great. Thanks a lot. So, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do about cost of living crisis. I think they're going to be pressured into making petrol cheaper and they'll just have to do without the money in the exchequer. Uh, uh, I think the other other thing that they could have done a long time ago is they could have implemented that energy price cap that so many European nations did. Uh, I think France and Italy and Germany, I think I'm right in saying they've all put energy price caps where at the most the energy bills can go up by like 4%. <laughs> and, then, and then we look back at the UK and we like, you know, you're surrounded by patriots in Whitehall, you know, waving Union Jacks. Britain is the best. We love our country. Oh, cool. OK, could we have the best e energy bills then in Europe? No, no. Go fuck yourself. I thought you said it was the best country in the world. Yeah, it, well, for me. Yeah, it is. I, I'm saying yay for, yeah, Britain's good for me. That's what I meant. Um, let's go back to the comments. Uh, so I'm, I'm having fun with these. So um, cost of living has probably fueled uh, the, what, the distraction um, in, in recent weeks or... Uh, let's let me I'll carry on working my way through a few more I probably should have uh, tried to uh, try to uh, absorb the context of some of these that would be helpful wouldn't it um, so silent adult says in fairness cheese and meat have always been high risk items for theft yeah I suppose so I suppose if you had friends round or coming round that night and you had to steal the contents of a decent spread you're going to want to steal some cheese and meat and probably a nice bottle of red wine, right? I think if you had friends coming over and they were expecting you to put on a good spread, I think if they found you with, what, like two packets of Doritos and a couple of Chewits, I think they'd be upset. I don't know if they'd come around and see you again. Um, I mean, I would, because I'm nice and not judgmental, but your friends are not. Your friends fucking hate you. Uh, Emma says, uh, there is some pretty decent vegan cheese on the market these days. Yeah, I'm being sort of facetious, really. Um, my girlfriend ate a, um, I think KFC do a, a vegan chicken burger, sort of, you know, chicken substitute. And she was like, it's fucking incredible. It's like, what they can do with substitute meat now is actually almost there. It's almost, they've almost cracked it. Um... Uh, Silent Adol says uh, they're right. It's a simple choice, and that choice is learn how to make cheese. Uh, I did the same for beer. I say drinking homebrew, homebrew as we speak. Okay, so that's interesting. Yeah. So I wonder if the cost of living living crisis, when it does eventually make its way back to uh, uh, you know dominating the papers, which it will, because it's a real, you know, traditionally in politics they say I think there's three pillars, isn't there? Three real like. Um, uh, uh, come and knock on your doorstep uh, issues that people tend to care about that win elections. Uh, and they are healthcare uh, and education and I'm sure I'm forgetting something else, employment. So if you've, if you've cracked unemployment and if the health service is in good shape and your kids are they're in a school and the classes aren't overrun, then, you know, generally speaking, the public should be fairly happy with you. Um, I think cost of living crisis is going to come knocking at that door. There's going to be a fourth pillar to the traditional 
political uh, uh, battleground. Um, people are going to really start to care about this. And the reason they're going to start to care about it is because businesses are going to start to go out of, like they're going to run out of money because businesses need to run their heating and electric also. And they would have only budgeted. There's a lot of small businesses out there, little um, like boutique estate agents and hairdressers and uh, little news agents and shit who they've only budgeted. They're operating on a shoestring budget as it is. And now their energy bills have gone up to a grand and they're going to go up another grand or whatever in October is its forecast. These businesses are going to go under. And that's the, that's we're sort of at the bell curve at the moment where things are incredibly expensive, but it hasn't actually started to implode yet. But it will do if they don't get a handle on it. And at the moment, they're so distracted with all of this fucking nonsense. Like, how how do how do any of us think this is going to end? Do we honestly have any confidence that this government have control of this? Because I don't. <laughs> um, let's go back in the comments. Uh, so Emma says, I was in the Shell garage yesterday and they charged me 2.13 a litre for diesel. Yes. So I went to the supermarket earlier and it was £1.93 near where I am, but that's obviously unleaded. Um, uh, Dal Walker says, Boris is hiding in the room so he doesn't get dragged out of number 10. Uh, in the bathroom, sorry, so he doesn't get dragged out of number 10. Yes. Well, I mean, hiding in the bathroom or doing fucking hero lines of Chang, I don't know. Uh, maybe this is a good point for us to uh, to check what is actually happening out there because I'm sort of, you know, I'm rabbiting on here, but there is a genuine, you know, the hugest political story for a long time uh, is going on as I'm as I'm speaking. Uh, Boris Johnson is still in number 10 Downing Street, apparently. He's on the brink. Uh, he's refusing to resign. Um, now, before I started talking uh, broadcasting, broadcasting streaming, that's the word I'm looking for earlier. Um, it was suggested in a tweet. I'll see if I've still got it on my phone, actually. I can read it to you word for word. Um, where is it? Oh no, my my Twitter's refreshed. But basically, it was it was along the lines of uh, he's refusing to resign, um, absolutely defiant. Uh, he's he's citing that he has a mandate of fourteen million people that have voted him in, and so he doesn't need to go. Now this is fucking lunacy. Like to have somebody like Boris Johnson. In number 10, who has always prized himself for being a sort of, what, like a kind of uh, Winston Churchill tribute act, right? And who you would imagine would have quite a strong idea of national identity and flag waving and patriotism and, and all of that. And yet here he is in number 10 shitting all over the international reputation of Britain and shitting all over the constitution and all of the things that make Britain Britain. Uh, I'm always amazed by it. It's always like, what do they actually associate with the Britain that they claim to love? Because it doesn't appear to be the NHS. It doesn't appear to be um, the BBC. And these are two huge institutions that are celebrated the world over as being literally the best of British they're things that we should be proud of. And yet none of the conservative 
or current Conservative Party, seemingly, uh, appear to have any respect whatsoever for the NHS or the BBC. Equally, now we've got uh, the head of this Conservative Party in number 10, who, as I say, you would imagine would be a flag-waving, true blue British patriot. In any other decade, he would have described himself as a one-nation Tory, right? And yet here he is in number 10, refusing to resign, refusing to leave, shitting on the constitution uh, of the country that he claims to love, no matter what the damage that it does to the country, to the country's reputation, no matter the instability that it causes, and no matter the like the repercussions that it brings. It really is amazing, isn't it? It's kind of like... You know, like the, the 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 laziest of parallels is always to to compare him to Trump. Is to say like, well, he's just a tin pot Trump. He's just a Tesco value Trump. Uh, and in this case, it, it, you can kind of see it. I think he's sort of um, he's one of these guys, much like Trump, who you know they claim to love the country, they claim to speak for the patriots, they claim to be trying to bring either america or britain back to a, a time of prestige or back to a time when we were celebrated the world over you know it's that sort of blitz uh, spirit it's that um uh uh i don't know sort of maybe 1950s or 1960s kind of uh britishness you know that's like um uh, I'm trying to think of the Michael Caine film when they're driving around. The Italian job, right? That's sort of um, driving around in minis and, uh, you know, the, the images of uh, Boris Johnson coming down on the cable car, waving his flag. Like, it's that kind of silly, um, nostalgic Britishness that he's trying to impart in so much of his political identity. And yet it's so superficial, isn't it? It's so paper thin because when he's actually backed into a corner, much like Trump, where does that love for that country go and that country's identity where does it go it's just completely out the window again like like i was saying at the beginning it's like well that's not convenient for me right now that's no what my id is actually telling me right now is that i need to do this i need to sit here and wait this out and tell people i'm not resigning i'm not leaving or if you're donald trump then you stand up there and you say you don't concede we're not giving up we're never giving up they stole the election because that's the most convenient thing for him at that moment with like fuck the consequences for the country that you claim to love it's so nutty Let's have a look back in the comments, guys. Um, so Emma says, Boris left number 10 half an hour ago, uh, got in a car and fucked off. Five minutes later, Nadine Dorries came out and staggered like John Wayne in the opposite direction. Is that true? Sky News are telling me that he's still in there. Uh, let me have a look. Um, senior cabinet ministers, including Priti Patel, inside Downing Street, urging Boris Johnson to quit. But PM is refusing to resign. Number 10 hit by dozens of new resignations, 38 now in total. Um, it says, nine minutes ago, PM will be dragged out next week, his rival predicts. Uh, that's Ian, Pla Ian Blackford uh, from the SNP. Um, I mean, it's such an undignified end, and I fucking love it. Uh, <laughs> I'm here for it. I put a tweet out. I think this was uh, a week or two ago, maybe. 
when the when maybe the carry scandal was at fever pitch so somewhere around then but i've said it a couple of times before um i i said i don't want him to just have like a quiet exit here's what i want to happen is i want him to dig his heels in i want him to refuse to resign and it, it just gets dragged out and the Conservative Party are forced to implement, you know, whatever weird and wonderful mechanisms they have in the dark and shadowy corridors of the 1922 committee. Uh, they have to get this guy to sign this old document and then Jacob Rees-Mogg has to come in and recite some fucking Latin verse or so. You know, whatever the weird processes are that they have to get through. I hope it drags on and drags on until finally three guys in long gray coats walk into number 10 and drag him from the disabled toilet with cocaine still around his nose pants around his ankles dragged out and on his way out they like dragging him out into some sort of i don't know like loony but like i want it to be as undignified as possible with him scream like a whiskey in one hand and like i don't know his mobile in the other and just frothing about it. I, I have a mandate. I've, I've got a mandate. I just, oh, man, please let that happen. Please. The other thing I saw today on Twitter that made me laugh was um, uh, a guy tweeting saying, like, this is like, uh, what did he say it was? It was like the cup final for nerds, I think was the tweet something like that and i was like fucking yes it is like i could have happily sat watching the news all fucking day today i mean i didn't because i have work to do but uh i could have happily sat there watching it like a husband staring at a football game while his exhausted wife is like oh is he ever gonna turn this up like i get that would have been me today this would have been the world cup final for political nerds um just sat there in my boxes beer after beer laughing my ass off um emma says uh, i'd like to see him frog marched in cuffs yeah there's a there's a a huge deluge of schadenfreude uh that's happening right now <laughs> it's like it's it's so hard not to od on it uh but it's like, I think when you've been disparaged, when you've been uh, dismissed and pushed aside and ignored for so long in the political arena, uh, when you've had your representatives, you know, your centrists or centre-lefts or, uh, or, or anyone in the left of the political sphere, when you've had these people represent you and fire questions at Boris Johnson and indeed Priti Patel or, or anyone in his cabinet, uh, and you want to know the answers to them, or you want them to face scrutiny. And every twist and turn, they just dodge the question or refuse to answer it or insult the person that's asking it in Nadine Dory's case, where she's like, well, why are you asking me that? Why are you asking me that? Uh, or they refuse to let Channel 4 News into the uh, number 10 lobby or that, you know, when you've been dismissed and disparaged and pushed aside for so long... Actually, what it does is it make it doesn't make these people go away. It doesn't make people like me or you or Tan or Davy Moo or whoever go. Oh well, I guess I'll just go away then because that's they've really shut me up. What it actually does is it makes people like us angry. And the more times you do it to the more number of people that you do it to, the angrier they get, and the more numerable, right, in number they get. 
And those people don't just go away. They uh, coalesce and they form lobby groups of their own and they form political parties and affiliations and they work together. And then eventually it erupts into the sorts of events that you're seeing today uh, and yesterday. You see different factions of the Tory party splitting off who are also fed up. You see um, people like uh, those that listen to this podcast who have been disparaged and dismissed. Um, and now we just sit back and laugh. Like if, if it had been a more moderate prime minister, if it had been a more reasonable Tory, someone who sat comfortably in the centre, who, okay, every now and then they lean right and we're like, you motherfucker. But generally you can see they're a good person, <laughs> you know, and they're coming from a good place and they're leading in the interest of the country, of the people, rather than endlessly in the interest of their donors. If it had been someone like that, then when this sort of shit happens, maybe people like me would be like, quote unquote, Democrats about it. And we would be like, well, hang on a second. You know, I don't know if uh, cabinet ministers should be deciding who the prime minister, you know, this sort of mutiny. I don't know if I'm on board with it. You know, if it had been a reasonable person, we might have adopted that attitude. But the fact that we've been disparaged and dismissed and had our ideas and uh, concerns diluted and tossed in the bin so many times. What is the output of that? It's like we all sit and watch the news today. And what's our reaction? It's something along the lines of <laughs> go to hell, you cunt. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you, you might win. the. This is what I mean when I say that the Conservative Party in its current iteration is doomed by its short-termism. It's like they have no understanding of, of a sort of long-termist strategy. They are entirely rooted in short-termism. And what I mean by that is they, they'll have a battle on their hands on Tuesday, right? A headline will come up and they'll be forced to answer it on the morning news rounds. Well, instead of thinking about things strategically, and what makes sense for them in three months, six months, a year, what they actually do is they go into firefight mode, scandal, uh, reputational protection mode, you know, uh, and to hell with the consequences, you know, disband that standards committee, lie about this person, dodge this question, right? Um, there's no forethought for how that might come back in three months or six months or one year's time. And so now where we're at is the output six months or a year later after all of that short-termism where they might have had the support of center-left people like me and perhaps like you who might have looked at this sort of situation and gone like well hang on well hang on a second you know i don't know if i'm comfortable with this but as i say because people like us, us have been so poorly treated and not listened to and mocked and ridiculed we absolutely have no sympathy i can't get him out of there quick enough <laughs> Let's go down to um, let's go back to uh, to a couple more comments and then um, we'll wrap it up because these solo these solo shows, I always feel like a bit of a madman. I always feel like a bit of a ranting lunatic shouting at traffic. Um, and 45 minutes is a long time to talk to yourself in your shed. So uh, let's uh, let's take a couple more comments. Um, so Bayerberg has jumped on um, saying, uh, can we get one of his exes to deliver his pre-signed resignation letter directly, preferably on the steps of number 10 in front of the cameras? That's, I mean, has he done pre-written resignation letters? You have to assume that 
his aides, right, right now have already written him a resignation letter. And I think they've probably put it under his nose to say, like, look, we've written this for you. It's very, it's articulate, it's dignified. There's even a couple of off-colour jokes in there, Boris. So knock yourself out. There's the podium. It's out there. It's waiting for you. All you've got to do is just go out, be graceful. There is a time for grace, Mr. Johnson. Now is it. Just go out there. Then it'll all be over. I think his aides have probably written him up a speech and tried to get him to read it. But it doesn't sound like he's... Uh, uh, he's open to that right now. Uh, Ricardo says, uh, you're talking about how he should be plucked out of number 10. And the only thing I can think of is the walk of shame in Game of Thrones. I wish I wish I knew that reference, man. The only, only Game of Thrones reference I'm familiar with is uh, the penis cutting off thing. Um, and I think in one of the earlier episodes, I saw the young prince... Didn't he get thrown out the window because he saw the brother and sister fucking or something? I think I'm right in saying that. I hope I've th I hope that's not a spoiler for anyone. If you haven't watched Game of Thrones by now, like, I mean, I don't know if it could still be classed as a spoiler. It's like fucking <laughs> seven years ago or something, isn't it? Um, uh, so let's have a, another quick look, see if anything else has developed. Um... Uh, there's a lot of people saying, where is Liz Truss? As far as I know, she's overseas. So that's why she's not really in the thick of this. Um, let's just uh, scroll back up to the top and we'll see if there's any other uh, fresh updates here. A 39th resignation is in. Jacob Young, who is a levelling up parliamentary secretary, is the latest to resign. Um, it's... It's difficult to imagine how this can get uh, much worse for him than it actually is. Um, and you would think at some point the ego, of which there is no doubt that it is he has a colossal ego, you would think at some point like the, the ego would kick in and it would go, well, hang on a second, I don't want to be remembered as this complete fucking sad sack hiding in the fridge, refusing to budge, arrogant piece of shit. I want to be remembered as Boris Johnson, who's a fun-time guy with silly hair, cracks a few weird jokes, and, yeah, and got Brexit done. You would think that the ego would kick in. You know, the, the same ego that says, I want to be the greatest fucking Winston Churchill tribute act ever that ego would then kick in and go like, well, hang on a second. I actually, if I, if I engage with objective reality for one moment, uh, I, I think maybe I do need to just jack this in. You would think that ego would kick in, but it doesn't look like we're there yet. Maybe this is actually uh, evidence that he is a bit more uh, deranged than perhaps we thought. I, th I think we always imagined... When we looked at Donald Trump, uh, just to go back to that parallel, when we looked at Donald Trump, we thought, well, at least Johnson... I mean, Johnson's a, a twat. There's no doubt of that. Uh, he's He has various shades of authoritarianism to him. And, uh, uh, you know, we've seen that through not just his behaviour and conduct, but, uh, you know, the sorts of bills that he's been signing. Um, uh, the police crime and sentencing bill, um, the privatisation of the NHS... Um, the there was talk about uh, I mean well the Rwanda policy obviously but there was also talk about jailing journalists if they embarrassed the government which is obviously setting huge fascism alarm bells 
uh, ringing. Um, but we always imagined that he wasn't quite as stupid as Trump, that he was a little bit more, you know, he's an, he's an Oxford graduate, uh, he's well-educated, he's a bit, you know, he's a bit silly, he's a bit kooky, he's got funny hair, but we always imagined that he had his head kind of screwed on, that he wouldn't actually be as despotic uh, as Trump. Is despotic a word? Despotic? I don't know. It is now. Uh, we never imagined that he would be quite as deranged as Donald Trump was uh, in the run-up to January the 6th, you know, refusing to concede, giving that weird speech, uh, or like right back to his America First speech and, um, uh, and attempting to overthrow the election and uh, suggesting that it was okay to hang Mike Pence. And, you know, we always imagined that Boris Johnson was, you know, authoritarian, but not as bad as Trump. But actually, I think with the select committee appearance today, he looked kind of, you know, off center in that. Uh, and now we're seeing him refuse to resign, even when the writing is so clearly on the wall. It just makes me think, well, hang on a second. Is he like, what is he capable of? Like, at what point will he actually go? I am the prime minister and I'm actually creating a by by prime ministerial decree. I am now creating a new role called emperor. And I will be emperor, and I appoint Pretty Patel to be my prime minister. Do you want to be prime minister, Pretty? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, fucking amazing. Yeah. Always wanted to be PM. Well, there you go. So I wonder what he's capable of. I wonder how ugly this could get. Uh, anyway, so I'll leave you there, guys, uh, on that thirty-ninth resignation uh, that's coming. Thank you so much to you, uh, three or four who jumped into the, um, live chat and who were, uh, very chatty. Uh, that's Emma T, uh, Ricardo, uh, Bayerberg and, uh, Silent Adol. Um, also a little bit earlier, I saw somebody, uh, called X, is it X Tyrone or X Tyron? Um, so yeah, once again, thank you so much guys for tuning into the live stream. Um, it will be up on uh, Apple podcasts and all of your other, uh, you know, Spotify's and yeah, Amazon's and all that stuff in a couple of days. If you do want to support the podcast, I do have a Patreon and there's three tiers on there. They range from a super cheap three, th I think it's three fifty a month, um, which is just really to, you know, buy me a beer or a coffee and say thanks. Um, then there's a five pound one, which will get you um, exclusives and uh, uh, credits and so on um, at the end and an invite to uh, to a London event. Uh, uh, doing sort of meetups feels very like YouTubery, uh, so I thought for my event, once I get to ten Patreons, I'm at five at the moment. Once I get to ten, I'm going to do a meetup, but it's going to be a meetup piss up where we're just going to find a bar in London and talk shit about Tories. If that sounds like your bag, jump on the Patreon, um, and then there's a there's a ten pound tier as well, which nobody needs to go on to. Uh, I you have to do three tiers and so i did a 10 pound one but you don't need to just just ignore that one um so thank you once again and thank you to the guys who've jumped on the patreon the five of you uh who's continue to support the podcast i'm really really appreciative of that if you're not in a position to uh, support the podcast financially which i totally understand um it's you know it's a weird time for everyone um then all i would ask is uh share it about share me about like the cheap tart that i am uh send a link 
of the podcast or an episode that you've enjoyed to a friend of yours who's also into politics and dystopia and uh likes uh listening to this kind of shit so uh so yeah thanks once again catch you guys on friday night when i'll have a guest on and uh yeah until then take care all right cheerio bye